This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Stuart Johnstone from StretchEventTents.com explains how he uses an employee rotation program innovate from within the company. On today's podcast, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that believes to be successful, you must only focus on what you can do consistently. In this episode, you'll learn the benefits of having a brick and mortar presence, why you have to have the perception that you have everything in stock when you own a physical store, and how it's different when you're only running an online store, and how to grow an email list by running and promoting giveaways. Today, I'm joined by Dafina Smith from Sunny'sHair.com. Sunny's Hair and Wigs is the source to change your hair, change your life for all textures and tones. And we're starting in 2007 and based out of New York and Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Dafina. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. So yeah, tell us a bit more about your store and the products that you sell. Sunny's hair is literally, we really aim to change your hair, change your life. And we do that primarily through hair extensions. Um, and so what is unique about us is I almost think of us as like the Nordstrom of hair extension world. You know, we really lead with our knowledge. We really know our products and we really curate a really great assortment of products. So we have our own line, just like a lot of department stores will have their own private line. Um, and that's one of our top sellers. And that is hair that we import directly from India. And then we also sell some really quality brands that I would say are like the Gucci and Louis of Mm -hmm. um, hair extensions. And so, um, that is our business and we are, it's an extension of my family's business that I brought online. Um, and we're really excited because next year we're going to be celebrating 25 years in business and 10 years online. So it's really exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. It's funny because I, my, we're just talking before about, uh, I just got married recently and congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. My, my wife and I, or I guess my fiance at the time, we're going around and I didn't realize how many varieties of hair extensions there were and how expensive they could get. I was really blown away. I didn't know that there was this whole aisles in some stores just filled with extensions. So it's a whole new world to me. So I think it's very timely that, that you come on and talk to me about this. I have a little bit of understanding of what it's like as a consumer, at least. That's so funny because a lot of guys will say that is that usually through weddings for a lot of times for women, that's the first time that mm-hmm. they'll kind of tiptoe and think about it because because they really, you know, you want to have these impactful photos. And so hair extensions always adds volume and length. And so it's funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're mentioning a little bit about the, the family business that was, that's going to celebrate the, uh, the 25 years. That's amazing. That's a long time in business and that, that obviously very successful. So was it at the time when you decided to take, take the business or at least uh, start the online uh, aspect, online, I guess the department of the business, was it a hard transition to come online? Like what was the the experience like? That's a really good question. So I had, um, I, after graduating from Georgetown University, I came up to New York and I always had a love for retail and branding um, and sales. So I had a background. I was, I started my career in, at the buying program in Bloomingdale's. 
And um, this was, <laughs> to say it, this was like in the, in 2000. Um, and, you know, a lot of brands were just kind of coming online. E-commerce was something that, you know, was kind of more propelled by like eBay and it was, it, it was new. And I, I loved the idea of it. I just didn't know, you know, I, I dreamed of, you know, maybe doing a denim store, or, you know, something. Um, and so through, you know, building and cultivating a lot of great brands at Bloomingdale's, like, it was during the time of a lot of urban brands were growing. So Sean John and Diesel and a lot of streetwear. It was just a really exciting time. And you learn so much, you know, you really learn the numbers of retail. And I was kind of able to pivot back to my parents' business. And, you know, I knew a lot about like forecasting and open to buy and, you know, gross profit margins. And just looking at it through that lens, I was like, you know what, this is a pretty good, solid business. Um, and I, you know, I recognize that you had a lot of women who, you know, once they start using this, it becomes a part of their, the way that they present themselves. And so they're, you know, they're coming back, they're spending a lot of money, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was one thing that really, um, was, was exciting to me was that you had, um, kind of like a high average order value, but not a lot of ceremony and celebration around the, uh, around the purchase. Um, and so it just, the, I think, you know, to bring it online, you know, my parents had a store and, you know, I was wanting to kind of do something in the online world. I had, you know, flirted with maybe doing jewelry or denim, as I had mentioned. And, um, then, you know, one night my sister and I were on a phone call and we just kind of were like, well, what if we, you know, took, approached mom and dad about, you know, bringing their store online and we would run it and, you know, and then this way they would have an online presence to direct traffic to the store. And, um, I think at first my parents were like, sure, whatever, you know, they were kind of like what people are, I don't, I don't even think they were really processing like where people would put their credit cards, et cetera. But I think, um, they were really open and it, there wasn't a lot of, of struggle or convincing or it just felt very organic. Mm, makes sense. So, you know, obviously starting a business, starting an online business with an uh, existing offline store is completely different than just starting straight off the bat with an online store. Uh, and what did you, what kind of parts of the offline business, the, the brick and mortar business did you felt helped you get a head start? Like what parts of it were you able to kind of not necessarily reuse, but did you already have in place that helped you get that online store going? That's an excellent question. So I think what it is amazing opportunity, if you do have the chance to do brick and mortar for me, I really grew up, um, you know, working occasionally on weekends and, you know, in summers occasionally, um, behind the counter selling hair and talking to the customer and in really being able to identify common questions and recognizing, I think one of the biggest things is that you start to really see, um, that in a store you have to have, you have to give the perception that you're very big and that you have a lot in stock, but really for a lot of people, you typically sell probably 20% of your stock is responsible for 80% of your sales. Mm. And the rest is just kind of is zhuzhing, I guess, <laughs> to make it, you know, and, um, but online, 
you don't have to fill the shelves with all of the stuff that may or may not sell. You can curate a lot more. And, um, and so it was just really a great thing to be able to bring the customer, you know, you know, your customer, you've been talking to them. You, you kind of, you don't have to draw a customer avatar, right? You, you, you know, these people Mm -hmm. in your mind. And so that's, what's great about a brick and mortar. And I think it can be a good and bad thing. Um, and I think one of the bad things that it can be is that, and I think that e-commerce is just starting to kind of evolve away from this is that it does sometimes bring you into this mindset of like making it like I'm taking my store and I'm doing an online catalog and I, you know, am just, it, it can feel a little, um, you're not talking the way you would talk to your customers on your e-commerce site. You kind of put up your product description, but it's not conversational. It's not engaging. Um, so those can be some of the challenges, but we knew our customer. Yeah, I've heard that time and time again about one of the benefits of starting offline first is that you actually get to talk to your customers and understand what kind of questions that they might have that they probably wouldn't ask if you only communicated with them online. You just don't have that opportunity to exactly. to engage the customer in that way. So that's a great point. And you mentioned that one of the, I guess, um, negative sides of having a, an offline store of brick and mortar is that you have to have this perception that you have everything in stock. Why, why do you feel like you can't, I guess, m- curate it the way that you would curate an online store? Because you, I think, you know, you, people don't like to go into a store that, feels kind of empty and that's Mm -hmm. changing as people approach more of a boutique but you know people want you know for instance if you go to a store and most of the time the you know i just know this even with retail most of the time it's like basics kind of sell but you have to draw people in with the shiny object right and you have to you know have in the mannequin something that most people are not really mm-hmm. going to buy you know but it you're telling a story and you're you're creating an experience retail is very experiential and you're selling not who you actually are but the potential of who you could be mm. that's what retail really does and engages people in and so you know, even though 80% of the time like I live in New York and 90% of what I wear is black it just, it just happens. You know, I moved here three years ago. I had all these great colors, but I don't want to go into a store that's all black everything. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to believe that I could, you know, go out one day and wear sequins shorts less than that, but I usually leave with the black t-shirt. <laughs> so that's kind of what I think you get caught up in when you have an actual brick and mortar. I see. That makes sense. And do you feel like uh, this is a experience that you need to replicate for your customers online? Like give the, sell them the story, sell them of the potential, give them the flashy stuff up front, and then they might end up getting something, you know, in between flashy and I guess boring somewhere in between when they, when they actually leave. I think that online, that it isn't the case. I think that because you're missing that visceral element of touching and and trusting, you don't, I think that people really want to see what is it, what's going to arrive in the mail, you know, like, and not so much lifestyle is important in e-commerce, but I think the things that really convert are really seeing, you know, for like, what is the color going to look like on, you know? Um, 
really seeing a close up of what we call in hair extensions, like the weft or the tip, or, you know, really seeing the details and dimensions, how they actually are really important, you know? And I think it, um, sometimes you can see a lot of of sites that are just gorgeous. They're engaging and they're, you know, these just visually dynamic things, but they don't necessarily convert as well because I think, you know, there's just a lot of noise when you're shopping Mm -hmm. online and you just need to know, like, I'm going to go through all of this you know, give you my credit card, wait for it to come in the mail. I need to know what to expect. Right. Yeah. There's a little bit less trust when you're buying online, even today that people don't have room, have time for that kind of, I don't want to call it BS, but like they don't have time for the fluff, right? They want to know exactly what they're getting. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And I think content marketing can help give you the lifestyle, but in terms of your product pages, your, you know, your site, the meat and bone, it needs to not be so... Um, aspirational mm. and you know yeah it makes sense and so you said something earlier that that really uh, caught my attention which was that your particular products have a high average order value but not a lot of ceremony or celebration around the purchase can you say more about this like why, why do you feel why is that a I guess an advantage when I um, was at Bloomingdale's and you know the we would have shopping nights and you would have celebrities come and you know um you would do, you know, put things in tissue paper and bags and, you know, walk it around the counter. And it was just all this ceremony around, you know, when you buy something from Gucci, the box is, is a little bit heavier than it should be. The tissue paper is a little bit thicker than it should be. You know, it's just, everything is just A plus, right? And what's surprising is, is that a lot of our customers are spending more than what you would spend for a pair of Gucci shoes or even a bag, you know? And I think because hair extensions were kind of seen, especially when I was growing up, as your dirty little secret, you know, it, it was something that you were kind of hiding from people. You mm. didn't want people to know. And it had a stigma attached to it. And so, you know, the stores didn't really, it, it wasn't a boutique experience. It was just kind of like not necessarily the greatest customer experience. It wasn't um, for a long time, it wasn't sold to you by people who were actually wearing the extensions. It's just the nature of this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, you know, when I looked at that, I was like, you know, if we could treat women with the same ceremony and luxurious experience around something that they're already spending money on and and educate them, you know, and you know, have, be really helpful. We really could build a brand around that. And, um, and so that was really important to me is just, um, and it was a challenge, you know, online bringing that experience, you know, to someone's, especially 10 years ago, right now, there's so many, there's like so many amazing options to really have a beautiful unboxing experience. Um, in an affordable, incremental, incremental and scalable way. So um, that's what I think where the opportunity was, is that our customers were already spending the money. So let's treat them like they're at Gucci. They're not expecting it, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So you saw this opportunity that other, co- other companies, other stores were not 
treating the or not I guess elevating the customer experience like the customer service and you came in and offered that as a competitive advantage to offer this customer service offer this kind of delightful surprises for your your customers so can you say, say a little bit more about that like what are some ways that you've found to create more ceremony and celebration around around a, a purchase that's a really great question. So I'll speak in two ways, because since I do have a background in the you know brick and mortar and as well as online. Um, when we did um, our store in Atlanta, it was you know instead of having the hair just out everywhere, not really a, you know we found these really adorable hangers and we had them hung, you know, and they were in order. It looked like a boutique, you know, and it was done in order and length, just like you would jeans like by size and by color um and when you would go into our stores every saturday we had champagne and cupcakes and whenever you would come in we had water bottles with our logo on it and it didn't matter if you came in to buy ten dollar pair of lashes or you were spending fifteen hundred dollars on a wig you know you had your bag with the logo we had a zebra we had a pink bag with zebra tissue paper and every single person we would walk around the counter to, you know, hand you your bag. Um, and it was really just, it's regardless of how much you're spending. Online, we did the same thing with, you know, our bags are pink. Um, we try to keep them discreet. I, I always struggle with that of doing a lot of branding of like, hey, your new hair is here. Like, I don't <laughs> know if people necessarily, you know, want that, it, you know, for everybody to know. So I, you know, I, I like, I, I like to think that when people see our pink bags, they're excited and they know there's a little treat in there. Um, you know, around the holidays, we'll put in, um, seasonal candies or just little surprises in there. Um, and we, you know, really put time into our packaging, our inserts, they're informative, um, they're helpful and they're branded. So, um, that's really what, and, and I also, you strike a balance as well because I don't want to do it in a way where it's so, you know, it's so expensive that people are paying that markup and they're not, it's not being directed into the product of the, the, the product quality. Like mm. I don't want to compromise. I still want to keep it, you know, at the best price, but, mm. you know, in a way that is thoughtful and affordable. Right. It sounds like you don't actually have to spend too much money to to delight your customers. And did you find that it, this, um, I guess, celebration and ceremony that you've added to your your the purchase process and the the them receiving the orders and unboxing? Did you find that it was quickly accepted, or you know, because like you're saying, there was kind of a stigma attached to a product like this for a long time, and it almost seems, seems very similar to the story of like Victoria's Secret, right, where it started off as lingerie was something that you never spoke about, but then they came, so Victoria's Secret came along and made it much more of a, you know, a fun, a fun place to go. Did it take a while for people to accept this new way of, I guess, uh, buying extensions? I would say, and I won't take credit for it, I think that there was just um, a confluence of circumstances in the late 90s, to, I would say in the 2000s, really, like in the TRL era, right? Um, celebrities just, it was really, I, I can attribute to like us weekly, like celebrities, they're just like us. We became way more celebrity aware and driven and obsessed. 
And so you started seeing your favorite celebrity, like Gwyneth Paltrow, had a bob. And then all of a sudden, she had really long hair extensions. Then you started seeing Jennifer Aniston guy hair extensions. And then Jessica Simpson. And then, you know, I think within the the Black community, women have always worn hair. I mean, in all communities, to be honest, women have always worn hair extensions. I just think that people weren't as honest and forthright about it. Mm -hmm. But as more and more celebrities, you know, started to, you know, even when Jessica Simpson came out with her own line of hair extensions, um, that really propelled people being like, it was something that you started to be proud of. Like, I can't, you know, I can treat my hair like an accessory and it's not, it's not a stigma. So I, you know, I think that in line with those trends that were already happening and then people were very receptive to, mm-hmm. um, to the ceremony and being like, hey, you know what? You're right. I do spend a lot of money on this. I do deserve to have a nice shopping bag for it and have some champagne while I shop, you know? So I think all of those things kind of was like a perfect storm. Yeah. I think that's, this kind of speaks to the importance of paying attention to the, the customer's attitudes towards products and they change over time. And that's a clear example of in your industry where it did change over time. And because you recognize that there was this change, you, you adapted with it and made made it uh, you know part of your brand, part of your 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 messaging that it should be celebrated, shouldn't be hidden. So I think that that's a that kind of I guess a big lesson uh, that comes out of that. Um, so you, um, I'm going to go back to the the very beginning now of the business. So you spoke to you and your sister spoke to your your parents about opening up this online version of the the business, the, the the brand, the store, and so you opened it up. And what happened? Like what what was the first month or first few months, first year like? We put up the site, um, and I think initially we were like, it would be really cool, like one day, maybe possibly, you know, we would make 8000 a month, then we'd be set. You know, it was, our, we did not go into this with, the, we did not have a business plan. It was just kind of something we thought would be nice to supplement our income. You know, it was like, it, it and... Um, this was like a, project, a side project for you guys at the time? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think, at the, you know, my sister at the time was a hairstylist in Atlanta. I was in New York. I mean, not in New York. I actually was in Los Angeles um, selling real estate. And so, you know, we just... This, this was not born out of, you know, a really... <laughs> Law. I didn't think I would be doing it, you know, 10 mm-hmm. years later. But um, I think the first month we probably did, I, I don't remember. But I, re- I remember we had like within, I think we put it up on a Friday. We had our first order by Sunday. It was a Yahoo store. If you like go on a Wayback Machine, it's, mm-hmm. embarrass- <laughs> it's <laughs> embarrassing to see it, you know. But it, it worked. And, um, you know, then it would be like one a day, then three a day, you know, and it just... Um, kept going and it was something that we did it was started definitely on the side very cool so what what was um driving the that traffic early on was it just people discovering it organically or did you have some kind of uh i guess plan to to get the traffic to this to the store we or um i think some of it was um i i really some of it was i don't know you know, this is 10 years ago. So we didn't have, mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't even install Google analytics. We weren't like, we didn't have UTMs to track, you know, we were really just like threw it up. Um, I don't even think we did AdWords for it for a couple of weeks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it organically came up um, when people were searching. Yeah, it makes sense. So when was the, uh, the transition then to moving off of Yahoo and onto your own your own store? So, yeah, so it was, um, it was on Yahoo for a while. Um, while we were on Yahoo, my sister um, exited the business and I had so I became under my um, direction. And at that time I wanted to do, you know, a way more experiential website. And I had a custom designed site on Xcart. Um, I had a team of developers. I had two different designers. It was very, very, very expensive to do. Um, and it was, um, you know, we had quizzes that we had celebrity style guides. We had, it was very, very detailed. Um, site and it was just cumbersome and really hard to manage and um you know just to kind of give a little bit of the journey of it is that the website became really successful at a time when the economy was like you know I was I was selling real estate in California before the housing crash so we were getting a lot of orders in Atlanta and we um at the time decided my parents you know we were just talking and my um, sonny came up and was like, I think you should, you guys should go open a store in Atlanta because you're getting so many orders there. My sister lived there. She did hair. So she had, you know, connections. And so, um, I, you know, I was running the Atlanta store. And so for a, a long time, um, up until about three years ago, the website always kind of be, it was always still almost like a side project. You know, sometimes how you start something is how it stays, no matter, you know, mm. how hard you try to mm-hmm. <laughs> overcome it. And when you have a brick and mortar store, it is very time consuming. And the customer that's right in front of you is always going to catch your attention first. Right. right. And so the, the website was always kind of something, you know, I would take, calls at night after being at the store all day and I'd be on, you know, at night with the development team working and tweaking. So, um, the, the evolution to Shopify came is because personally, I just, um, I had twins and I got married and I was going to have to move to New York all very, very sudden. And, um, I was, I had a very high risk pregnancy. I was on bed rest in the hospital and my, my children were born and they were in the hospital for an additional five weeks. And, um, it was just really, and it was stressful. And I was also having to move, coordinate, closing my office and moving all of my operations to New York for the website. How, and how short of a timeline are we talking about? Like how was this going to a couple months? So, yeah. So, I mean, the store was open in Atlanta. I was there for about six, seven years. And then about three years ago, I, um, while I was still on the Xcart platform, this custom site within, you know, I, within October, I was put on bed rest and I was in the hospital and I had to move. We had to move in February. Mm. I gave birth in December. So kind of like in a four month cycle, you know, and I, I had had a team of I had a graphic design person, I had a customer support person, I had an e-commerce manager. You know, it was it was a thriving, you know, big thing. And I couldn't move all of that to New York. So I was like, I'm just gonna have to do this in New York by myself until 
I get settled. And at the time, I just was like, I, th- I think there was one night where my site got hacked. And, um, and you know, you're on the call with Media Temple. And, you know, just I was just so sick of all of the, the bloat that came in having a custom solution. And, like, I, you know, I really think that if I didn't have Shopify, I don't think I would still be in business. I think I would have just, you know, it just, it was, it was so much to manage. Anytime you wanted to make a change, you had to call your designer and then the developer, you know, it was just, it was so bloated. Um, and so Shopify, I would say, you know, I think unlike a lot of businesses, since I've been in business for a long time, this is kind of like the peaks and I've been around long enough to have the peaks and valleys. You know, really in my valley, Shopify was, it was like an essential tool for me. And so I've been on Shopify for about three years. So when you made this transition, because it sounds like you put a lot of time, you had a team of people working on this customized site and you were just ready to just cut, cut everything off and then start over from scratch or like, what was that, I guess, that process like? So I guess what, so there's a couple of, you know, so it was, there was a couple of things going on. So I can kind of tell you of how to, this is a cautionary tale of how, (laughs) how to blow up a successful business. (laughs) So, um, and a lot of businesses actually struggle with this is you struggle with the success, right? When you're growing. I had a big team of people and then I, things were going so great that I was like, I know I'm going to hire an SEO firm. And so I did a commitment for that for a year. It was very expensive. And then that coincided with, um, you know, I didn't know enough to know that what type of, what white hat is versus gray hat versus black hat. Mm -hmm. And it coincided with the Panda update. And so my, you know, not, it wasn't an overnight thing, but I just remember there was just a market drop in, in our, my business. And it coincided with, I think that the SEO firm was not, it was more venturing in a gray black hat type of stuff. And I really took a toll on the business. And so then it also just happened to coincide with me being on bed rest and being able to manage, you know, being in a hospital, there's not as much, you know, you can kind of dig in and, you know, really resuscitate something that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, losing about like 40% of its sales, like kind of in one month. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like a lot of it was out of your control. So what, what do you, what do you find was, I guess, a lesson out of it? Like what could you have done differently if you could go back and I guess redo it? I think what I would focus on is, um, is, and I, and I try to do now is really understand when you hire contractors or SEO firms or social media or even, you know, at any level is to really take the time to educate yourself, speak their language. Like, you know, there's so many different aspects of, um, of running an online business that, um, if you, that if you don't speak the language, what are you really doing? You know, like, how are you really overseeing something? And so that's really always been a lesson for me now before I, you know, make changes before I'm not going to know it the way a developer is going to know it, but I, you know, you should know the difference between like CSS and scripts and, you know, what, what type of taxes you're using and, you know, what, 
what what's a blog you know a private blog network you know you should know these things mm-hmm. before you you invest a lot of money you can't pay your way and just blindly hope they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and there's like a range too, right? On one end, you could just be like you're saying, completely blind to it, and then and you know pay somebody and just pray that they know what they're doing, that they're going to do do it the right way. And then the other end, which is you just do it all yourself. Uh, but you're saying you have to be somewhere in the middle, right? You don't have to do it, but you have to know enough. But how do you gauge where one is? You know, I know enough now to hire somebody versus you know that maybe you spent too much time learning about it. One you could have hired someone earlier. Um, I mean, I think now, and one thing I will say is like really once I got to Shopify, I, what I love about Shopify is there is a huge community on Shopify. And, you know, when I was on Xcar, I didn't really have that, um, on that platform, you know, now it's like, there's these, you know, Shopify entrepreneurs grow and sell. There's so much resources just on Facebook groups alone, and you can ask people, and I'm also a part of a really great forum of, um, it's called e-commerce tool live. And I mean, there's just some great knowledge in there and there's just so many people willing to help. Um, so there's, you know, just at the bare minimum, just asking, Hey guys, I'm thinking of hiring an SEO firm. What are some key things that I should be aware of? What are some mm-hmm you know, strategies that are considered white hat right now, where, you know, where is a snapshot of the industry? That's just like bare minimum. And then, you know, there's just so many great web articles, podcasts, just to get versed in terms and methodology. Not that you're, you're overseeing it or, you know, strategizing it, but that you just, just enough to know that you're not being snow, like sold snake oil, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So I want to go to talking about something that you mentioned in one of the pre-interview questions, which was that you said to focus only on what you can do consistently. Uh, can you say more about this? Like, what, what do you mean by that? And what's an example of, uh, I guess, something that you do that you focus on because you can do it consistently? When I became a parent um, and I had twins and I, I no longer had a team of people when it was just me. Uh, you know, I'm a working mom out of this apartment in New York City now. Um, it was like I, I knew I wanted to keep this business. I wanted to keep the e-commerce. I wasn't going to go and open a store. But there were so many, you know, anyone knows there's so many things that involves that it can overwhelm you. And so I really just focused on, you know, I might lose a lot of customers. And I actually did. I, you know, I lost just a lot of customers who were just used to a level of service I could no longer give. But I just had to focus on if I want to keep this. I always know consistency is the name of the game. People are very forgiving if you're consistent and you manage their expectations. And so for me, I, I think for a lot of businesses, especially when you're when a time in your life happens where circumstances change and or you get overwhelmed or you're stressed, just I think instead of just getting focused on on taking on more and more and more, mm-hmm the more that you can just kind of pull back in and be like, what's just the necessary components to make making this going forward. And so for me, I found I've, you know, I love writing and um, I was like, and I, and I love kind of taking the educational approach to selling. I, I knew I could commit to writing one blog article a week <laughs> and I kind of automated that so that, that one, I could sit down when my kids are taking a nap. I could 
do the one blog article. It um, changed every week, but I kind of had like an editorial calendar set in my mind. And it, it served the purpose of I had RSS to email um, flow in MailChimp. So that also served the purpose of my my weekly email, my weekly blog post, which kind of gives you your your SEO and, you know, just your customer communication going. And, you know, then you can, you know, post that on Facebook and tweet it out. And that was all I could do. You know, I, I couldn't do hours of YouTube videos anymore that I used to do and mm-hmm. editing them and, you know, working with influencers and affiliates and, you know, doing a lot of the SEO work. And so I just was like, I can do this. And I, I just, you know, there was, it was a rough year, but that's really, um, that one year, my first year on Shopify, that's really what I focused on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree that it, the name of the game, like you're saying, is consistency. It's better to be consistently good than to be, you know, periodically great, right? Because like you're saying, you want that, con- you want the, to build that expectation with the customers. And, but you mentioned that, you were losing customers because you had to pull back on some of the things that you were doing, like these, you know, spending hours on YouTube videos. You couldn't do that anymore. And while you're losing customers, I think a lot of people at that time might start pulling their hair out and saying, you know, I'm just going to dig my heels in and force myself to do it because I, at, the, at the end of the day, it's all about the numbers, all about the revenue. I got to keep it going. Did you ever feel that pull? Like, how did you convince yourself to take the, you know, the healthier approach? You know, I think because, you know, for me, it was, um, I had my, my twin boys, I have um, a son, Blake and Cole, they were born two pounds and they were there. It was, it was scary, you know, when they came into, yeah. it was just, so that was my focus, you know, and it was, I wasn't going to stress over the people who, you know, if you need, you know, I was like, if, if a customer needs someone who they're going to be able to call me at any time and ask a million questions and get next day shipping and, you know, be able to get, you know, returns right away. You know, I can't offer that right now. And it was okay. And what I started to see, I'm not going to lie. It's not fun to, you know, lose a part Mm -hmm. of your business. Um, but I had great repeat customers and it worked well because they knew what they wanted you know, they ordered in a timely manner. I could ship it out to them. I could write little notes, you know, it, I, um, and it was reliable, consistent, repeat customers. And then the new customers who were kind of not fickle or, you know, need something right away, you know, that just wasn't going to work for me at the time. And I think you just start to attract more and more people. And so for the people who I lost, it would have been unprofitable for me to continue chasing them. Um, I would have had to, you know, I just didn't have that bandwidth at the time. But over time, the people who I retained brought on more people just like them. And it it's really now where I focus on for me is how profitable am I? And that has, you know, greatly, I, I had to trim a lot of the fat. And a lot of the stuff that just didn't make sense for me to be focusing on. Um, and it's worked. And I think, you know, there's, it worked for that particular time frame. That's kind of what made sense for me. It was just a more pleasurable business to run. 
Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that we can design businesses, design our customer service, design our marketing to attract the customers that we want. You know, I think a lot of times we just think about how can we get the most customers possible, the most visitors possible, the the max everything. But you can, you know, what's the point of doing all that if it's just going to stress you out and make you unhappy at the end of the day? You should really focus on, not really focus, but you should at least consider that you don't want every type of customer that comes through the door because some of them are going to be much bigger headaches than others. And and they could become less profitable because you're, you know, draining so many of your resources to satisfy those customers. Um, so one of the things you mentioned though about how to handle how to do this gracefully is to manage their expectations. What are some ways that you found to, to manage your customers' expectations? Like how do you even do that? Well, that's a really great question. I, um, I think it takes a, so it takes a little bit of time. Like I, I switched over to Clavio and I don't, I don't know if it's Clavio or Clavio, but Clavio. Yeah. Um, they had, I spent some time writing some, what they call flows. So it's kind of like a trigger based email. Mm-hmm. So that, um, you know, even for when someone, I spent time to sit down and write some, a series of emails for new returning, new versus returning, um, card abandonment. And then in the, the new customer card abandonment, I just spend some time in my flows, not just being like, Hey, you forgot something in your cart, but really trying to establish, you know, to educate them about the products, um, to send some of our top blog posts, to send some of our top reviews, to let them know how it works, where stuff is shipped from, how long it takes. You know, I'm not, um, you know, we have express shipping. Um, but I always say, you know, once I hand it to the post office or FedEx, I don't control all the factors that go into getting it to you there. So it's, you know, next day is kind of two to three days or, um, you know, really just trying to just provide as much education as possible in an automated way, not in a way that's like, you know, that you're answering every single inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, even on like live chat, I have a lot of just like, um, I have a lot of automated answers for just a lot of frequently asked questions and just putting some time and thought into it up front, but in ways that you can, if you sit down and do it once, you you residually benefit from. Um, same thing for trigger-based emails. If a customer, if it's your first time purchasing from us, you're going to get, you know, even before you get your package, you're going to kind of get our story of our business. Like, thanks for placing your order. Um, you know, some tips on how to take care of the hair, when it's going to arrive, you know, just, just set, and I kind of do it by product assortment. And so it took, all, it took some time, but it's paid off in dividends a lot. Mm. How many emails do you think are in these um, these trigger based uh, email flows? I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like um, it. And so I have like um for for instance for me my new customer um, abandoned cart sequence probably has about eight emails, and I mean but it's over the course of of weeks, mm-hmm. um, and it's. You know, it's it's a mix of sales versus education versus, you know, a friendly reminder. For returning customers, though, they don't need all of that. A lot of times for returning returning customers, it's just, it's like a, my, I only have two emails for that. Like, hey, did 
did you forget or, you know, do you have some questions or, you know, they don't, for returning customers, I don't need to kind of put them through that whole series. Mm-hmm. That's why I love, I think MailChimp offers that now too as well. Um, and then for, I do, you know, for the new, for the first time customer, I think I have about five to six emails on there for returning customers. It's different. I only have two. So that's kind of the thing. It's like, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bombard people. Um, but I do want to just kind of help them and educate them. But once they're, you know, a lot of my customers are returning once they're, you know, and some people have been buying from me for 10 years. They don't need that email. Yeah, flow. they've already been uh, indoctrinated, I guess, to, yeah. to you. Yeah. So these uh, these educational emails, uh, what's in them? Like, how, do you, how did you know what you should be educating your customers on? Um, you know, I've done a lot of training um, for, I actually used to do training for hair, how to put in hair extensions to stylist. I've worked with um a lot of television and film productions like um, the Fast and the Furious and the Hunger Games. So I know a lot about just for stylists, you know, just even um, for people who are interested in getting into that industry, just information about that um, types of hair that they work with. Um, And then on the product side, um, I really, really spend a lot of time testing our products. Um, I've gone to our factories where we get our hair in India and really, um, we have an amazing relationship with that factory there. It's a really great place. It's ethically sourced. Um, it's, you know, there's no like child labor. There's no, um, it's just, it's really great factory. And so I try to just share that with people. I really believe in ethical sourcing and, you know, corporate responsibility. And, um, you know, in the last five to six years with the advent of like AliExpress and Alibaba, there's just been a lot of flooding in the market of, um, of, I would say sub subpar hair extensions. And they use a lot of, of harmful ingredients that aren't really allowed here to process the hair. It's, um, mislabeled, it's mismarketed, you know, it's not really a regu- super regulated industry here. It's almost like how a lot of foods will say it's natural, but that really means nothing. Yeah. Um, And so that has really just flooded the market recently. And, you know, even if you go on my site, you'll read a lot of reviews of people who are like, oh, (laughs) I was going to buy from you. I went, you know, somewhere else way cheaper, got crap. That was horrible. Now I will only buy from you, you know, and if I can save a lot of women having to go through that through education, that's like a win for me. Mm, yeah, I always use this term where you want to become the the trusted advisor for your for your customers and not just be the the salesperson, but the person they come to just to to help them out just in general with the not just your particular products, but anything else that might be related to your product as well. Um, yeah. So you you know you have these email flows, so you have all these trigger based emails, but how do you even capture them in the first place? How how are you able to get these email addresses? Oh, that's a great question. So um, I use, uh, I really, in the last year, I've really stepped up my email acquisition. Um, I always had a newsletter and people who would opt in just after purchase um, and then like the little sign up on the website, but that was not yielding anything. Yeah. A huge success for me this year has been, I've been using Just Uno. Um, I really like them. They integrate really 
smartly with Shopify. Um, I think there's some others like Privy as well. Um, so I have a couple of, um, every other month I do a giveaway. Um, and it'll be a combination of whether it's a giveaway for like clip-in hair extensions or if it's last month I did a giveaway for $200 gift cards to my store as well as a curated box of my Best of Beauty um, 2016. So I had some fun like Korean beauty products in there as well as um, Living Proof. Like just stuff that has nothing to do with what I sell on my site, just products that I love. And I collect a lot of emails um, through the giveaway. Um, And like right now, you know, as I'm kind of leading up into Black Friday, just collecting emails for people who want to opt in, you know, to learn in to get early access to our um, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, all of our specials. Um, And then I've done before some lead magnets of... um, a, like, you know, a guide to growing your hair long while using extensions. And that was just something I love to write, as I said. So that was just something if you gave me your email, I would, you know, send it to you as a PDF. Mm-hmm. So these are like at the bottom of your blog posts? These are on the site as like an exit intent pop up or a time. The giveaways were, um, they were somewhat, I did some promotions where I would, you know, put it on other people who kind of, showcase and promote giveaways. Um, I also had a a timed, like if you were on my site for more than seven seconds, you would have the giveaway pop up. And then um, the Black Friday was just also like a timed one. And then I've had a couple that are just exit intents, like if you're leaving a product page. Mm-hmm. So to promote this giveaway to to um, people that are not actually visiting the site, you're partnering with like influencers or how are you uh, reaching these other folks? I've done, so there's a couple of um, sites that promote like giveaways um, for for people who are just really into giveaways, I don't really think that that's like the best solution. Mostly it's just been for people who are prospects on my website who come not going to buy, but, um, you know, wouldn't, would love to, (laughs) would love to get a gift card or would love to get some clip in extensions. So that's really where, um, I, I've focused just past year. I really enjoy them and I would love to start next year as part of my strategy. I would like to start bringing in some influencers to help promote that as well. Mm. So most of these signups for the giveaways are people that are coming to the store but haven't, or for some reason or the other, haven't made a purchase yet. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what about the, the traffic? How do you drive the, the traffic to your store in the first place? What are some, what are, I guess, what is the, the most like, successful channel for you guys? Um, for the last few years, the most successful channel has been organic. Um, we get about 55% of our traffic from organic, um, about 15 from referral. And so a lot of the referrals is just press that we've received. Um, like we've been featured in some mag- like major magazines and those were very just kind of not from active, you know, outreach, just being discovered. Um, but I also do some writing for some other beauty blogs and like a ask an, ask an expert um, series. So that brings a lot. Um, paid is not a huge part of our acquisition strategy. Um, but really, you know, organic um, has been a large source of our traffic. Mm. 
So is this coming from the, the content marketing, these weekly blog posts that you're writing? Yeah, they're coming from, a lot of them are coming from, you know, and I, that's, as I said, you know, it's like, it seems small in the moment, but if you can do one a week, every week, and that's the least that you can do, if you aggregate that over 10 years, that's almost 600, you know, articles Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, and what I'll, you know, make an effort to do is go into older ones sometimes and kind of update them and refresh them. So a lot of that is just, um, uh, it's just a lot of people coming in through the blog or just, um, it'll, yeah. Yeah. And 600 blog posts, you never felt like you, you approached a week and where you're like, I don't know what to write about. Oh, many times. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I create kind of like a, a backup, um, default, I have in Asana, I have a ca- an editorial calendar and it's kind of like my default editorial calendar in case I don't get inspired. So I just, and a lot of times, one thing I will suggest for people is who, who hit, you know, cause years of writing blogs, you're like, Oh my God, if I write <laughs> the same thing again, yeah. um, I, I found what was when I was really just being like, I have no creativity taking questions that I was getting from live chats a lot or from email chats. And if I would get them more than two times, similar questions, not the exact same, but similar, then I would just, instead of, you know, just sending an email to one person, I was like, let me respond to this as a blog post. I see. So that's a great way to just get new ideas, but then also, of course, answer an actual customer's question at the same time. Yeah. Cool. So once you have these uh, blog posts written, do you also promote them in any way? Or is it just um, just through the email list that you have built out? Or do you push them out to other platforms? It's um, mostly through um, just my social channels. I'll you know put them on um, Facebook. I'll boost those posts on Facebook. Um, or sometimes I'll use... I have been recently... Um, using them as Facebook ads. Um, and that's been really successful. Um, just because it's more conversational, you know, and it's, it's more starting a relationship. And then I have my funnel there to kind of capture them if they don't, you know, it's not really about, I got to convert this, you know, click Facebook, you know, I have enough, um, conversion tools, I guess you could say throughout, you know, different articles, um, YouTube videos, et cetera, to kind of take a cold lead and make them warm and over Mm -hmm. time convert them. Right. You're eventually capture their email address and get them kind of deeper in the funnel at some point. Uh, so that's cool though. You have like, uh, you write a blog post and sometimes you will post it onto like the face, the fan page or something and then boost it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Do it that way. Um, I have not, I haven't really done anything paid within, um, Twitter, but I have with Pinterest. Some, sometimes I'll make a, you know, an info, I'll take a blog post, turn it into an infographic and then put it on Pinterest and promote that as a pin as well. Mm, Very cool. Do, Do you do this yourself or do you hire somebody to create that infographic? I do it myself through Canva. Oh, cool. Yeah, Canva is a great tool. So, you know, speaking yeah. of, you know, you mentioned Canva, Asana, just Uno, Clavio, like what other, because <laughs> yeah. uh, it sounds like you, are you still just a one person team at this point? 
I am. I am still a one-person team. I will say two things. Um, I just entered um, this last year. I applied to this Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program um, in conjunction with the Tory Burch Foundation. And so I graduate from the program in January. It's been the most amazing experience. It's like having an MBA on your business. You know, I they're in, I think, 20 different cities around the country. Um, for you have to have certain um, revenue in order to, you know, be able to interview. But I just highly recommend it for anyone out there who you know might meet those requirements. Um, so I am very much focused on hiring a team next year mm. and not having it be me. But you know, for the last three years. I would say the first, that first year I was kind of like in survival mode and, you know, now my kids are in preschool and so now I'm ready to, you know, kind of grow a team. But, um, in the absence of having a team, it's just been me. I haven't, I flirted with, uh, having a virtual assistant for a month that didn't work for me. Um, but I do have one thing that I have that I, I've been on board with for about, um, nine months now is a service called Hey Carson. And they're kind of like a, they can do little tasks for you for your Shopify store. Um, and it's kind of like little tinks and little things that you have to tweak here and there that if you're not a developer, it's just, you could really mess up your site. Um, and I really, it's a flat fee and I've, I really have, I love them. I highly, I highly recommend them. You know, and uh, Jonathan over there, hey, Carson's a great guy. I think they, he has a great program going. Like you're saying, kind of takes that one big element out of running his business. You don't have to worry so much about the technical side, but then you don't have to have a full-time person. You know, that that's just probably sitting there most of the time doing nothing on your yeah, team. Exactly. Um, yeah, so other than these these uh, this these services, this program that that you uh, you you're enrolled in, are there any other kind of apps or services that you rely on to help run the business? Yeah, so one that I love is um, is Riskified. It's um, and it's not for everybody, but as I said, I have a very high um, average order transaction, and my industry is um, hair extensions for whatever reason is a very high fraud segment of internet business. And, um, so riskified is really great for me because before I would get, you know, even with like international orders, you, I would spend a lot of time trying to, you know, contact orders that seem a little shady. And, you know, for me, a lot of my, um, clients are stylist. And so they're ordering it at their salon with their client's information, the billing and shipping is shipping is separate. You know, it's just, it's, it's red flags everywhere. And if I didn't ship, you know, I wouldn't have, I would lose about 30% of my business. So, um, I really like them because they analyze it for you instantaneously. They, they provide insurance. It's not for everyone. It makes sense for me because chargebacks can become very cost prohibitive. Um, but that has saved me a lot of time of not having to track down and call and ask them to send, you know, just, you're kind of reading tea leaves. Um, I really like just Uno. I really like Clavio for email. Um, it's expensive, but it really automates a lot of things, and it really has some really you know great tools. Um, and other tools that I use, I love Canva. 
um, for, you know, not always having to call a designer for everything, you know, mm-hmm. a graphic designer for just simple things. It really allows you to just churn out more stuff for social and, um, and your email newsletter. It's just, I think it's fantastic. Um, and then just for project management, I really like, um, I like Asana. Um, it's collaborative. It's, you know, you have your calendars. As I said, I, I kind of keep a lot of my different calendars and different projects that I want, like, hey, Carson to be working on or, you know, um, collateral that I'll need designed in Canva. Um, and then I really like Gmail for business. So I use Gmail um, to answer my customer support. But I have a lot of canned responses in there that I really like. And um, I think that those are, you know, those are essential tools for my, for, for my business. But Very I think cool. that, um, that's it. Yeah. So, um, with you running this business by yourself and all these apps and tools, can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? So the business, I would say we are, um, the most we've had this past year is on track. We are, um, in, we're mid like low to mid six figures business. Um, we're going to be, we're on track right now to our sales are up 40% from last year. And I say ours, it's funny. I'm still used to having a <laughs> the team. Royal for, us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Royal we. Um, and it's, it's definitely the most profitable year on, um, so far. So that is a snapshot of it right now. Nice. So where do you want to see the business go next year? Where do you want to see it go in terms of the business itself? That the You said you had your own line. Like where do you want to see everything be uh, this time next year? So I would like to, there's two um, huge goals that I have for next year as it's our 25th anniversary and 10, 10 year online. Um, so I would like to, I'm working on right now, developing a line of products um, called Good Hair Days um, that, maintain and protect the extensions. Um, people are always asking, you know, you need sulfate free shampoo and conditioners and, um, products that are really lightweight and designed and formulated for extensions. They have specific needs. So I'm really looking forward to offering that. And I would like to also offer that more on, um, like a subscription basis for people. So you kind of set it and forget it. Um, you know, whether it's every month or two months. Um, and then, um, I'm also looking forward to really, um, launching, uh, we, in our stores, we have amazing wigs and online, we don't have as many wigs. Um, and I would like to be able to offer something called wig dazzle, which is a monthly subscription for different wigs kind of curated by your style personality. Um, and so I'm really, um, I think that that would be a fun way to, to offer wigs online. And the final thing is to, you know, maybe tiptoe into having a little bit more of a multi-channel approach to retail, um, whether it's eBay or Amazon, um, specifically even with these pro- you know, the private label products and the, the products for for maintaining the hair extensions. Very cool. Yeah, sounds like a great channel, great um, 
product uh, line that's coming out for you. I think uh, that kind of subscription-based business, great way to obviously improve the, the overall revenue, but then also have the stability of that guaranteed revenue every month. Um, so yeah, thanks so much again for your time, Dafina. So sunnyshair.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend listeners check out that they're interested in the products or interested in following along with, uh, with you and, and your, your business? Um, no, they just, they can check us out. Our Instagram handle is Sunny's Hair. We have some really amazing stylists who do amazing work with our extensions. So it's really fun and visual to see as well as our YouTube channel, which is Sunny's Hair as well. Awesome. Thanks again, Dafina. Thank you so much, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.